0: I'm Dr. Amalia Gonyas Malka. Welcome to Womanity Woman in Unity, the show that celebrates prominent and ordinary African women's milestone achievements in their struggles for liberation, self emancipation, human rights, democracy, racism, socio economic class division, and gender based violence. Joining us today is the Ambassador of Turkey. Ashagul Kandash, who is accredited to South Africa, Lesotho, and Iswatini. Welcome to the show. Thank you. Ambassador, your career in the Foreign Service has taken you to several countries like Azerbaijan, Germany, Cyprus, and now sees you taking on a portfolio in Africa. Can you please share with us two or three important landmarks in your career to date?
1: Yes, of course. First of all, before getting to my career, I think the biggest landmarks uh, I had was in my education. Uh, I was born in Istanbul, and when I entered an American high school that was one landmark uh, in my whole life, Uh, the private American college called Robert College in Istanbul. Uh, After that, when I entered an American university, Bosphorus University in Istanbul again, that was another landmark. Then when I won a Fulbright scholarship to do a master's in the US, that was the third landmark. Why, because this type of an education really opened doors for me to to go abroad, to discover myself, uh, to start focusing on my targets and to become a diplomat. When it comes to my career, I think um, the biggest landmark is obviously being appointed as an ambassador for the first time in my career. And as an ambassador to South Africa is a huge landmark. And uh, one earlier one was uh, when uh, our Ministry of Foreign Affairs, which is our DIRCO, uh, sent me to get a master's in EU affairs to College of Europe in Bruges, Belgium. That was a landmark, also because it changed kind of the course of my career. My uh, diplomatic career has been uh, mostly focused on European Union affairs, uh, both in Ankara and uh, when I'm uh, when I was abroad. Uh, so I
0: can talk about these landmarks so far. It's so interesting when you talk about education as a mechanism to be opening doors not only to opportunities from an employment perspective but also in terms of self-discovery and it's one tool that i found features predominantly on the show with women as a means of empowerment and not just for bettering their own lives but also as a tool for bettering the lives of their families Yes, definitely. I think
1: I believe in the power of education because it, it broadens your horizons. It's all about learning, learning about life in general. And one big tool is obviously education and the schools you go to. The fact that I uh, ended up going to the best schools in Turkey really advanced my career, I think. That was a big, uh, big factor. I didn't just go to any school and these are through exams so that was lucky otherwise uh, local schools probably would not um, advance my career so much
0: in the end that's what I believe Quality education and as you say winning that Fulbright scholarship must have been a a fantastic form of recognition
1: Um, I believe um, so I ended up Uh, I wasn't satisfied uh, with just uh, being a career woman. I wanted to learn a lot. Uh, So a big part of me is academic. I ended up doing four different masters on four different subjects. Uh, This doesn't necessarily help my career. Do you see what I mean? It's it's also about the power of knowledge. And uh, it's about curiosity, I think, in life. One of the key things in life is, I think,
0: curiosity and watch, watch what you are curious for, as the saying goes. And one of my favorite, in fact, all-time quotes is from Dr. Seuss, which goes to the effect of the more that you read, the more that you know, the more that you know, the more places you go. Very good. Yes, I'll, I'll write it, this down. Thank you. <laughs> Given that a lot of your expertise and focus has been within the European Union, was Africa ever part of your plans and on your wish list? Um, Not
1: really, because by the time, at the end of 28 years at the Foreign Service, by the time I came to the stage where I would be appointed as an ambassador, Um, there was basically, you are not given any choices. The president appoints you, and you have no idea where you will be sent to. Nobody is uh, really given any any kind of, it's not a choice thing. At that stage, it is wherever um, they send you. And... I was telling my friends and people who asked me uh, that I would probably be sent to Africa, but I don't think I was really meaning it. Um, People were saying, oh, you'll get sent to the Far East. You know, the, the trend is usually there are many women ambassadors right now serving in Africa. So there is such a trend and also the Far East. So I was thinking
0: probably the Far East, somewhere in the Far East. Asia. It's quite interesting on that dynamic of you don't know where you're going to go. must be fairly exhilarating and exciting, all blended in at the same time. But now you're here, you represent Turkey in three African nations, South Africa, Lesotho and Iswatini. Can you tell us about some of the objectives that you want to accomplish in your term?
1: Yes, uh, first of all, This is my first year in South Africa. Uh, Recently presented my credentials to those countries. Um, These are small countries compared to Turkey in terms of population and area, obviously. So depending on the contacts I already have, my initial contacts with the government and the kings of these countries, Uh, I can say my principal objectives are to bring in investments, Turkish companies, bring in uh, investments, increase trade, because we don't even have uh, Turkish citizens there. We have just a few in each one of these countries. It's not about consular work, but what they need is more development cooperation projects. What they need is scholarships, projects for women and the youth, uh, and so we have, as an embassy, I have, I'm lucky to have three instruments. I have a development cooperation agency located in Pretoria. Through that agency, it is called TICA, we can do lots of projects, women empowerment projects, for instance, which we have already started in Lesotho. I have a cultural diplomacy institute in Johannesburg, which is called Yunus Emre Institute, We do lots of cultural programs. So through that, uh, we could do joint projects with these countries. Plus uh, the Turkish government gives scholarships, full scholarships to university students, master's doctorates or BA. So they could make use of those, which they are already. It's been going on for for some years. Um, Plus the human to human contact. So when I come to South Africa, The human-to-human touch is very important. Of course, uh, the classical uh, job of an ambassador is, of course, to improve economic relations, cultural relations, tourism relations, but we need to be uh, result-oriented. We have certain amounts of time that we spend in this country. We need to make a difference. Uh, That's why my main Uh, target is to close the psychological distance. There is a big physical distance between our countries. With Turkish Airlines, uh, it's nine and a half hours flight, no stopovers to Istanbul uh, from South Africa. I feel there is a psychological distance. Both countries, the peoples do not know much about each other. So in addition to another tool I have, which is DSTV channels, uh, where there are Turkish soap operas, five or six of them being shown on ETV. In addition to that, which is soft diplomacy, I need to bring in more instruments uh, to familiarize the two countries, to increase the touristic uh, relations, to increase the number of tourists going back and forth. Of course, uh, increasing investment and trade in both countries, which might be tough at times because it also depends on the economies of both countries. Uh, What I'm trying to say is my main aim is to increase the visibility of Turkey, to bring in Turkey in the public, uh, in the media and the public opinion in a positive light, and to increase the visibility of South Africa. Uh, All those things that this beautiful country offers in Turkey to increase the visibility uh, of uh, South Africa vis-a-vis Turkish citizens.
0: That's all I can say right now. There's a lot to talk about, but yeah. There's certainly this mutual benefit that you're trying to extend as as a bridge that closes, as you were saying, the psychological gap. Because yes, physically we are quite distant. And I think, for me, that's one of the the views when we think about COVID and the negative consequences it's had. But the positive elements have been leveraging digital technology, which really brings worlds much, much closer together. You mentioned that you have a couple of projects that are in place through your your Women's Empowerment project development. In Lesotho. In Lesotho. So far, Lesotho first. Yeah. So, can you tell us more about what some of those developments are, what you're doing in Lesotho for women to empower them?
1: So, this is one of the projects of TICA, Turkish Development Cooperation Agency. We decided to give priority in these three countries, South Africa, Lesotho and Eswatini, to women empowerment projects and to projects geared towards the young people. It's about investments in in the human capital of these countries. So, uh, Tika has organized so far since I came here, three different uh, projects. The first one was training, uh, women entrepreneurship training of five days to women SMEs coming from three provinces of South Africa. Houtang, Free State, there was another one. Um, I think it was Northwest. So. The three provinces, those women, 80 women came to Pretoria. They were trained uh, by officials who came uh, from Turkey. Uh, They were trained in e-commerce, how to start up a business, SMEs, and just digital economy to help them. These were women uh, who were doing um, beadwork, knitting, uh, coffee shops, um, I know because I gave them their certificates. There's uh, th- that ceremony. And then there was another one last March, end of March. Uh, another training in Durban. 20 women were, um, trained. Then 20 women in Lesotho were trained. So, and then we create a network of those SMEs. We are partnering, of course, with institutions like SEDA. Department of Social Development, you know, South African institutions, in Lesotho, the relevant institutions. So it is about, in the end, supporting women entrepreneurs and women SMEs in these countries. We will start another one in Eswatini. Uh, we will continue those. So we are promoting this in cooperation with those embassies of these four countries. And we will do one more in September. Um, I'm not sure about the, the real um, the numbers, but probably 30 women, 3 zero, 30 women will be trained. Um, and then we support them afterwards because this is the network. For instance, we buy the stuff they produce. For instance, we sell them in Turkey. We send it to the Africa house established by our presidents, the spouse of our president, Mr. Erdogan. Emine Erdogan loves Africa so much, she established an Africa house with the handicraft uh, coming from all over Africa. So the South African stuff we send from here is being bought by the Africa house and exhibited there, which also contributes to cultural diplomacy.
0: And the wonderful thing that you've cultivated here besides this network where women can interact with other women is that you've established a market because they are producing the goods and you're providing an opportunity, an outlet to be able to sell them so that they're earning that revenue. Thinking about the empowerment aspect, the World Economic Forum annually publishes a global gender gap report, which monitors various gender equality gaps across four dimensions. One is on economic participation and opportunity. Second is on educational attainment. The third is on health and survival. And the fourth is on political empowerment. And the main areas of weakness consistently lie in domains of economic empowerment and political empowerment. According to the current rate, I I honestly thought these figures would be improving, but each year I look at them, they're getting worse. So it will take around about 267 years to close off the economic gap and 146 years to close off the political gap. South Africa is no stranger to utilizing legislation and quotas to help close gaps and drive a form of intervention to accelerate progress. But what are your views with respect to closing gender gaps more rapidly? Because the reality is, looking at these numbers, neither you or I will be around when those gaps should be closed. Correct. Yes, it's an
1: ongoing issue that we are faced with every single day in every single country of the world just the degree of the challenge varies from country to uh, to country when i came here i must say i was amazed by the presence of women in politics and in economics here in south africa the number of women ministers the numbers of women parliamentarians, I learned South Africa is the 10th in the world, for instance, when it comes to women in parliaments um, and in governments. It's 40%. 40. That's a lot. So when I look at my country, for instance, in our national parliaments, which has 581 uh, MPs, uh, the, the rate is right now 17%, percent One seven. 17 percent of the members is women. Then I looked at the average in the whole world when it comes to parliaments. Actually, it's only 22 percent. And in the U.S., for instance, which is way down from South Africa, it's only 20 percent women. So there are all these statistics. And then when when I look at Rwanda which ranks first. When I look at Finland, which has a women-led coalition government, five parties headed by women, you know, then there is reason for optimism. South Africa, Rwanda, some other African countries give us optimism in terms of the number of women who are in powerful positions. Uh, When I look at certain other statistics, let's say in Singapore, I don't know the statistics for Turkey in the private sector. The female CEOs of companies in Singapore, they are only 13%, one, three, for instance. So there was a time when I looked at the Singapore example, let me give you um, about Singapore, what they did. So to close the political and economic gap, um it's kind of, I think, the fact that governments devise policies, it's kind of, I find it quite degrading. Like, it's it shouldn't be something you make an issue of. It should be part of life, you know, women and men sharing political, economic, social spaces. They should be there full time. Uh, but when a government devises action plans, white papers, like Singapore did, just last year, Uh, when a government comes up with policies, that means there is something lacking in that country. And there is a lot of stuff that needs to be done. And then when you look at the results of those action plans, just because implementation hasn't been seen through, just because it hasn't been followed up, you don't see much of an advancement over the years. So I don't really believe in government... um, in intervention that much. What I believe in is this. um, Women are powerful beings. I'm not uh, being feministic here. Women are powerful enough to take things in their hands and start with grassroots projects because the world is full of projects. The world is full of action plans. But what makes a difference is ownership. That's a big factor. If women devise and own their own projects, they can go a long way. They can send the right signal to men. Second factor, I think, is education. Education starts in the family. And um, whether you have good schools or not, uh, I was in a rural village with the tribal chief and because I want to learn about the culture. So I was in, a, in the Zulu land. Um, there I saw, even if you the children cannot go to school, let's say, if that value uh, of the equality between man and woman is given in the family, then you go a long way. Then it's still good. You see what I mean? You need to educate your children with the idea of the equality of men and women. And it is more than equality, it is equity. Equity is something that goes beyond that. Providing um, the idea, the psychology is this. It's about having the right to something. Human beings have the right to everything, equal pay. It's not only men and women. It's not about gender. It is about being human and it's about, diversity. If we can respect diversity, if we can respect the fact that women can contribute sometimes even more than men to society, then we should do something about it. It's it's as simple as that. So uh, there's a lot to say, but I want to stop here. There's a lot to do, but it should start from women themselves, I think. Let's say simple, simple projects. Simple NGOs, let's say, a, a simple project, women coming together, the power of women. It is not empowerment of women. It is the power of women. It's all about that. Women do not need empowering, actually. I think it's, a, it's not a good term. I don't like that term. They are intrinsically, they are by themselves powerful. They are the founders of the family. They raise the kids. They raise the kids who become the man of the of the commercial and the political world. So women are powerful. They have to be careful about what kind of man they raise. They need to be strong about what they have and what they can offer, and they have to go for it. The rest is the rest will come. Do you see what I mean? It's about the suppression of women's feelings about themselves. It's about self-dignity. It's about, you know, us generally.
0: But I also think that a lot of what we find is conditioning. If you are conditioned into a certain perspective or a view that is imposed on you of how you should behave, how you should look, what's acceptable, what types of opportunities are available to you, then you kind of believe that. And thinking about, for instance, the South African context and apartheid and the struggle that people went through for liberation, that we have to change our mindsets and think, as you've suggested, being in a position of power as opposed to being in a position of of vulnerability. Hey, this is Lira, South African Afro-Soul singer and songwriter. You're listening to Womanity, Women in Unity, presented by Dr. Amelia Malka on Channel Africa, the voice of the African Renaissance, a program that celebrates prominent and ordinary African women's milestone achievements in their struggle for liberation, self-emancipation, human rights, and democracy. Today, we're talking to the ambassador of Turkey, Aisha Gul Kandash, who is accredited to South Africa, Lesotho, and Iswatini. We would love to receive your comments on Twitter at Womanity Talk. Ambassador, you're a female leader. And as we mentioned in the, the previous segment of the show, that we have got very few women in political leadership as well as in the business world. And as a female leader, you it often touches on sensitive points, be it culture, religion and tradition. But I wanted to ask you, as you represent your country, what are some of the leadership strategies that you found to be most effective? Um, first of all,
1: I'm very interested in psychology. My passion is psychology. I ended up becoming a diplomat. And I studied mostly international relations, political science, but one of my masters is in psychology. And I believe um, it has a lot to do with uh, leadership positions. Like when you are in leadership positions, you need to make use of the the science of psychology, I think. So I would say a combination of empathy and authority is very important. you know. Wh- while you are in a position of authority, when you are exerting authority, in order to get things done, right? When you are in a leadership position, you need to get things done and you need to have people to do those things. Uh, you need to also um, uh, keep this feeling, this empathy, this um, talent alive in yourself, you need to be able to look at things from that point of view as well, another point of view, I mean. At the same time, leadership can also have a humane quality. Um, what I mean is uh, it does not dist- uh, detract from your uh, powers you can be a humanist at work, be sensitive, at the same time be able to use your position of authority in order to get things done, in order to finish a project. That's what I, um, what I believe in and also uh, what I've seen as well. Um, to be able to teach people something while you are leading them is also important, I think.
0: Those are really nice comments. So empathy, authority, and the ability to pass on knowledge and teach people. Staying with the theme of leadership and looking towards female leaders in particular, can you tell us about a few women who've been important change agents in the the Turkish context?
1: So we know, for instance, in every uh sector of society, in every occupational field, let's say, the first woman who achieved that, for instance, I think that's an indicator also. Let's say uh the first woman writers, the first woman journalists, they were groundbreakers, they were the ones who led the way for other women, so they would have the courage to follow in their footsteps. For us, in the Ministry of Foreign Affairs, uh, I think it's been a process, a struggle, but we had the first woman ambassador in 1982. Her name was Filiz Dinçmen. She was appointed to Holland, The Hague, as the first female Turkish ambassador. Then she was appointed to, to uh, the, embassy, the permanent delegation to the European Council in Strasbourg. Uh, for instance, so she was a groundbreaker, let's say. Then there was the first woman journalist who showed that women can take part in that profession. In 1897, uh, a woman journalist by the name Selma Rıza in Istanbul. So that was a landmark also, I think. And then I remember uh, this woman who died some years ago, a doctor, Türkan Saylan. She was a dermatologist who uh, helped people uh, with uh, this disease. Um, I think it's called leprosy, a skin disease. And she established NGOs. Then she started helping girls in uh, distant parts of Turkey to go to primary schools. Those villages where they did not want to send girls to school, let's say high school, even university, she established an NGO to support those girls, to give them scholarships. That was a very important project, and she's known for it. Uh, For me, she's also a, a good example.
0: Thanks for for sharing. And all those women you mentioned, they, uh, I would say, an element of of publicity, awareness in terms of the roles that they did. And I think it adds and contributes to the issue of visibility of what women can do and people recognizing them for that. Ambassador, the question that I'd like to, to ask you now is about your personal journey. Some of our guests who have reached tremendous achievements in their lifetimes, talk about factors that they attribute to their success. So whether it's hard work, their upbringing, discipline, perseverance, please can you tell us what you consider to be key drivers to your success? Yes.
1: um, I think one is to be able to know um, what you want to do in life at an early stage. Some are not that lucky. Some, it doesn't occur to them for a while. I mean, I'm looking at the children right now, uh, including my daughters. Uh, it takes them a while to figure out what they want to do. With me, it was pretty uh, obvious from very early on. I wanted to, to become a psychologist my parents didn't let me at the time (laughs) and you need to enter a, a central university exam in turkey it's different anyway i ended up uh entering a university uh i ended up studying a subject that i had not planned which was political science at an american university when i entered that university, I decided, what can I do with with such a diploma now that I'm stuck here? (laughs) And um, I was a very idealistic person. I had ideals and my ideal was more for my country. And I was like, okay, then I can become a diplomat with this diploma and represent Turkey abroad. So I never wavered from that ideal from then on. And psychology became a hobby. I started doing masters and reading and taking courses. That's my second uh, career, uh, to tell you the truth. Uh, when it comes to upbringing, my father um, brought us up with the mantra. A very simple sentence, that's all I remember from my childhood, that mantra is this, if you work hard, you will get what you want, no matter what. Working hard is the key. So if you work hard, you get the result, definitely, and you will get get to where you are. The key is working hard. So all my life, that was the basic principle. I worked hard for whatever targets, I worked hard. You give me a target, I work hard on it. So it's that, um, perseverance and resilience, very important of course, for all of us to succeed in anything and to be focused. I have always been focused. I never diverted to any other road. I was focused and I made my choices uh, accordingly. I said to become a good diplomat, to represent Turkey in the best light, I need to get educated in these subjects. So I went on for those, you know, masters. I wanted to equip myself with the right knowledge. If the Middle East is important for Turkey, I would study the Middle East, get a masters. If Europe is important, Then I do two masters in (laughs) in EU. So stuff like that. That's how I I went about my career. Um, I think working hard and concentrating
0: are the keys to success. Thank you for sharing your recipe. And the great thing I find with this question is that everybody brings something different. And it just shows how diverse we all are and the different mechanics that that work for various people. Ambassador, lastly, as we close out our conversation today, please, can you use this platform to share a few words of motivation or inspiration to pass on to girls and women who are listening to us today? Um, Thank you, first of all, for giving me
1: me this opportunity to express myself. I think For especially young, I have a daughter myself who is is in matric years, almost 18 years old. Um, I think um, life is really about choices. And life is also about where you direct your curiosity to. Because learning and advancing starts with curiosity in the mind and imagination. So I would say believing in one's power for girls and women is very important. Trying to make the right choices, which comes with information and knowledge, making informed choices, finding your targets and purpose of life today in today's world i see among the young um, this thing about purposelessness you know like no purpose if you lose your purpose in life you can go in any direction so if you start early about focusing then uh, i think you are on a good start and also let's not forget about Yeah, learning, curiosity. Uh, I'm not necessarily talking about ambition. I'm talking about targets, purpose. And then let's not forget about the power of art because there are so many young people today who have so much talent in different areas of life, art being one of them. And that is where actually real life force uh, resides in life so let's not forget let's not relinquish this power of creation that's in us we can create we can be creative about our lives we can create art and uh, that i give a lot of importance to because i do sculptures and poetry and i give importance to that that's a big part of life as well Everybody should, should, this is like I'm talking to my daughters, nurture your abilities, find out where they are, nurture them, you know, improve them and create,
0: be creative. Thank you very much for sharing your perspective there. And what I take out is this very holistic approach of, yes, deal with the practical elements, But don't neglect the creativity because that's where imagination and innovation comes from. And it's also a way of nourishing and feeding the soul. So thank you so much for joining us today. Thank you so much. I'm grateful. Thank you. We wish you all the very best in your term of office and the various projects and initiatives that you have from trade to investment to establishing those scholarship opportunities and building out on those uh, gender-based projects as you close the gap between Turkey and Africa. Thanks again. Thank you. You have been listening to Womanity, Women in Unity on Channel Africa, The African Perspective. And we have been talking to the Ambassador of Turkey, Aisha Gul who is accredited to South Africa, Lesotho and Iswatini.